Good evening, Browns fans. Welcome to OBR Weekly at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. You know where we're going to be. We're glad to have you joining us. Uh, we're glad to have you joining us, per usual. I'm Barry McBride. I'm the publisher slash web dork of the OBR. With me, right over here, the legend, Mr. Fred Breedham. How you doing, Fred? <laughs> doing good. Trying to figure out which way I'm pointing. Yeah. It's all backwards. It's all backwards. This whole video TV thingy, it's its crazy, man. It takes a while getting used to. But uh, good to have you here, Fred. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Questions are already uh, rolling in. Uh, and uh, uh, good to see him. Uh, as always, uh, my uh, pre-show uh, uh, preparation is spotty, as usual, this week. So we rely on your questions and comments to really drive the show uh, but uh, I got some things I want to talk about, Fred, right off the bat. And uh, let's get right to it. The news tonight uh, that Deuce Staley has told the Jets to, uh, you know, stay in New York. He doesn't want anything to do with them. Well, you know, he probably didn't put it that way. But he's going to come over to the Browns. He's going to be the Browns running back coach. Uh, <clears throat> so Stump Mitchell has certainly been replaced. Uh, the Browns have got their guy. Um, I, we didn't hear any other names mentioned for that running back coach slot, Fred. Do you think Deuce was 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 always their guy, Fred? I think so. I mean, Kevin Stefanski seems pretty calculated. I don't think he makes a move unless he has a pretty good idea that he's got somebody, you know, in mind or that the candidate, you know, would, would take the job. I don't know unless, unless you're just going to fire Stump Mitchell no matter what. And I think it was pretty measured approach. I think he's been an assistant head coach, uh, thought highly in the NFL in circles. And I think that he's looking at him to kind of bring new, new life into the running back room. The players liked, Stump Mitchell, but, you know, sometimes you just make change, you know, Stump's getting a little older and maybe, uh, you know, an energetic, young, up-and-coming coach. I mean, he saw what it did for the special teams with Bubba Ventrone and even Jim Schwartz, you know, even though he wasn't a young, up-and-coming necessarily, but mm -hmm. um, trying to get some new, new enthusiasm, energy on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Well, sometimes even us old guys can, you know, bring a little jolt to the system sometimes, uh, you know, like Schwartz did. But uh, uh, definitely looking to make some changes with uh, uh, with Staley in there. And like you mentioned, he's a he was an assistant head coach with the Lions, assistant head coach with the Panthers. You know, one of the interesting dynamics here is that Stefanski is bringing in people who uh, had big roles at their last team. I mean, Staley being an assistant head coach, uh, Tommy Reese, we'll talk about him in a second. Uh, he was, you know, offensive coordinator at biggest, well, second to Ohio State, of course, second biggest college football program in the country, you know, down there at Alabama. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, he's bringing in some, some high-powered people here uh, and putting them in, you know, very specific position coach type roles. Uh, this is, you know, looking to be a pretty high powered coaching staff, don't you think? 
Yeah, I mean, they already had, when you had Bill Callahan, who's regarded as maybe the best, you know, offensive line coach and former head coach, and Jim Schwartz, one of the best defensive coordinators and former head coach. And either have guys that are, that are, have been to the top or guys that are right on the doorstep. And, and I think they look at this as an opportunity. They see the Browns, you know, have a good team, all the injuries and how they overcome. And, and the, the way this always happens is the teams that win or go to the playoffs or Super Bowl usually get head coaching jobs. So mm-hmm. I think that they're just trying to put themselves in position, you know, to move up the ladder and, and kind of banking on the Browns next year, you know, to, to take it to another level. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a, that is certainly a good sign in terms of how the team is perceived. Now on his way out, Sump Mitchell uh, talked to uh, anybody with a, a microphone or a podcast or, or whatever. And Ty Sox 15 asks uh, what our take was or your take. He doesn't care about my take wisely. Uh, your take on Stump's comments about not getting as much as he wanted to from Kareem Hunt. Uh, I won't say he threw him under the bus, but, uh, you know, there were some tread marks on on Kareem Hunt as Mitchell left town. Well, I mean, you might have read or listened to more than I did. I heard a comment or two, but I didn't really look at the entire amount of what, what he said. But... I think the one comment I did see was that he didn't feel like he got, you know, everything maximized. Well, he had him for, I think, five years. So Mm -hmm. I think that's more of an indictment on yourself, you know. Right. I mean, if you can obviously say you didn't get everything you thought you were getting, then there's something meaning you weren't motivating or uh, didn't identify the problem. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it totally. And that could be part of the reason Kevin Stefanski decided to move on, but, um, yeah, it's hard to, hard to say. Sometimes these coaches, when they leave, they kind of try to put themselves in the best light and, and kind of speak off the top of their head and, uh, what they obviously feel, but yeah, yeah. I just, I, I just think that, Kareem Hunt, you know, is a tough, hard runner, and I don't know, you know, if he has the explosiveness that he had earlier in his career. I mean, we all saw it. He was very hard runner to get that short yardage, but you didn't really see explosive plays from him in the last couple of years. I think that's why last year the Browns didn't bring him back and why he didn't really get signed by another team. Right. He was suited for the emergency role, and that's what they brought him in to do. And he did a good job. I mean, he was your guy to get a touchdown. I mean, anybody that'll get you eleven touchdowns, I think, is is pretty good addition. So that's one of the reasons I ranked him as high as I did in my um, additions, you know, to the team. So, yeah. Okay. A uh, question from Red Leader. He wants to know if Deuce is a uh, good running back coach and who else are we trying to hire? Uh, we'll get into the offensive coordinator position, which is the other open position right now on the offensive side. Uh, but uh, have you heard anything about Staley? I mean, I've, I've just read the, the normal sort of positive re- remarks about him from his his past charges. 
Yeah, I same thing. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time studying running back coaches or whatever they are. Um, but he seems to be an up and coming, you know, riser in the NFL coaching ranks. And, and I think that's what you want. You want as many of those minds on your staff as you can get. And every, everything I've read about him has been positive and trending in the right direction. You know, I've heard energetic and um, enthusiasm. And I think that that can pump something into the room, you know, Sometimes you need a new voice. You know, you hear the same voice for five years. It's good to get, you get used to one another. And sometimes, and that could have been with Alex Van Pelt. I mean, sometimes you just need new voices. And the Browns, you know, we can say about the injuries and everything on offense, but they finished dead in the middle of the pack, 16th. And I give Kevin Stefanski credit that he didn't look at it kind of the question I asked Andrew Barry that, oh, you had so many injuries, you could easily say, well, if we get them all back, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we ranked in the middle because we didn't have all our guys. No, they said it shouldn't have mattered who the guys were. That makes some difference, but we're not going to sit on our laurels. We're going to try to improve. You look at the special teams ranked in the top five, the defense, depending on what you looked at, finished one or in the top five and the offense was kind of dragging it all down in the middle of the pack. So they're shaking up the offense and, and they're hoping for the same effect that they got on the defense and the special team. So, you know, I just think, I think all the way around, it's, it's a good way to go. Right. Right. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to talk more about the coaches here in, in just a sec, but we had another piece of breaking news tonight. OG Philly mentioned it, and McSawman also mentioned it. Uh, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, it had nothing to do with the Browns, except they're one of their opponents for next year. Uh, uh, going to the Chargers from the University of Michigan. As an Ohio State fan, I'm not sorry to see him go. Uh, he has some success against the Buckeyes. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I, I just always wonder. Again, this is this is off topic. We'll get back to the Browns here in just a second. But if you're a coach at a successful college program, you know, Fred, if you were a Nick Saban or a Jim Harbaugh, or what what would possess you to go to the NFL? Right? You get all that money and all that stability at a college. They'll build a statue of you outside the stadium. You know, you're 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 like a demigod in Ann Arbor. What would motivate you to go to San Diego? Or not San Diego, it's Los Angeles now. Well, I think that the landscape's completely changed. I think that's partly why Nick Saban stepped down. These coaches, you're right. The Urban Myers had a complete kingdom, and you could get your own players. You literally mm. went out and got who you wanted. And then NIL came in in the transfer portal, and it's not that way anymore. These coaches right. have lost their control, in my opinion. Um you know, a kid's getting a lot of money or offers. He's like, Hey, what are you going to do for me? Or I'm going, I'm transferring. And you're seeing it. I mean, you're seeing it every year now. I don't really like it. You know, as far as I don't mind, you know, transfer if they feel a better opportunity, but you know, why can't there be like it used to be where you sat out, 
you know, for a period of time. Now it's just free agency and who's offering me the most money or opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care who you are. I think it hurts the Alabamas, the Michigans, the Ohio States in some degree, because everybody's looking for a better deal. And, and some of the, you know, maybe not at perennial powers might have a lot of money and they might start being able to attract the free agent, so to say, and mm-hmm. that's going to water down. You know, in other words, if you're not a star at Ohio State this year, you don't want to wait till next year. You're going to go to Duke or Syracuse or wherever it may be because you can be the guy right now. And right. and so I think, I think also with Harbaugh, you know, he'd been in the NFL. He, I mean, he struggled. It seemed like at Michigan for a while. And then, and I thought he was going to bring what the way he finished. Let me, let me get that. I thought that's how it was going to be the whole time he was at Michigan. And I was starting to get the idea. Wow. He just can't get that Michigan program really Mm -hmm. until the last three years. And then, okay, forget that. So he was, very successful with the Stanford and then the 49ers and then um, went to Michigan and obviously finished there. So I expect him to be successful and it would have been nicer. I think if he would have went to the NFC, because I think he'll, I mean, that was the most attractive job in my opinion, because you had Justin Herbert, most of these teams don't have a quarterback or they're, you know, they're, they're also rands for a reason. So I just think, you know, he's stepping into a pretty good, they got some pretty good players on that team. And I wasn't expecting them to not make the playoffs, you know, last year. So yeah, he'll probably, and the Browns are going to face, I was going to say, you know, we're staring down a possibility of the Ravens going to the Super Bowl, and the two brothers, you know, with a beating Ohio state and then seeing the Ravens. I mean, I, that, that doesn't bode well for, a, for Buckeye or Browns fans. I mean, it's got to stick in your, now he's gone. That's going to take a little bit, but still to lose to the two Harbaugh brothers or to see them, it's, it's kind of tough, but now he moves on. I, I am, I am not fond of the entire Harbaugh family. Well, it, I don't know about the whole family, but those two guys, and that's, who is a trend, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't like the whole family, but uh, at any rate, uh, it's not my problem at Michigan anymore. Uh, at any rate, let's get back to the Browns. Uh, some more in terms of the, the coaching uh, staff, Tommy Rees, uh, tight end coach. Um, again, you know, the guy went from Bama offensive coordinator, Saban retired. Uh, so he was at Liberty, shall we say, and he's going to the Browns tight end coach. And that is an interesting career move, Fred. Uh, a lot of people I saw on, uh, you know, I made the mistake of wading into the Twitter dumpster. And uh, uh, a lot of people going, ah, you know, what a fall, you know, tragic fall the guy's taking, you know, straight into the sewer and whatever, you know, about going from Bama OC to the Browns tight end coach. But that's a pretty savvy move, isn't it? You know, to go to a team on the rise and, get a position that really will affect affect the entire offense, you know, and position himself to move up in the NFL circles, don't you think? 
Yeah, and sometimes these guys reset. I mean, when, you know, when like a guy like Saban and, and you're kind of without, he probably looked around and, you know, what's my connections? What's my offer? Um, if I remember right, Drew Petzing, who's with the Browns, you know, started as a tight ends coach next year, yep. switched to quarterback coach, and then he became the offensive coordinator for the Cardinals. And, you know, if he's an offensive coordinator at Alabama, he could be in the pipeline here. You don't even know what they're talking about hiring an offensive coordinator. So far, I mean, Alex Van Pelt, I'll give him credit, but I don't really know what he was doing for four years without calling plays. I mean, I, I know that calling plays doesn't make you an offensive coordinator, but that's usually what you do. If you're the offensive coordinator, sometime you get to that point. And so I don't know if Stefanski will continue to call the plays. And if he does, then again, what is the offensive coordinator's role? And maybe, as you see here, maybe Reese would be involved in, in that and maybe have a chance to become the offensive coordinator for the Browns maybe right. next year. Yeah, yeah, he's in uh, he's in a position to move up, and uh, uh, I don't think it is a uh, giant fall by any sense of the imagination. I think he's positioning himself to uh, to move up in the NFL. He's working for a well considered, you know, offensive mind is Stefanski, and uh, uh, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad move at all. But in the meantime, we have this offensive coordinator position, which is you know wide open. Uh, one name mentioned, of course, Ken Dorsey. Uh, you know Ken Dorsey from his time as a quarterback uh, here at uh, with the Browns, who's the third-string quarterback. We always talked about him. Oh, it's like having an extra coach on the team, you know, when he was a, a quarterback with the Browns. Uh, would you be excited about him as an OC, given his experience in Buffalo and uh, what you know of him from his time here in Cleveland? You know, I, I just know him as a player. And I guess from 10,000 feet, no, I wouldn't just because, I mean, when you get let go in the middle of the season and then the team kind of turns it on, I don't know. I'm not saying it's all his fault, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, what did he do with the Bills? You know, he had Josh right. Allen. Um, I'm looking to see, you know, them take it to a different level and it didn't seem like it. So I guess – if somebody gets fired in the middle of the season, I don't take that as, as an endorsement, a guy that you want to run your offense, mm -hmm. especially when their offense in Buffalo appeared to run better when they made a switch. So yeah, yeah. no, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. Nice guy, not a great quarterback. He's probably mm -hmm. a better coach than he was a quarterback, but I just don't, he just doesn't seem to light a fire, you know, in yeah. my opinion. That's that's the case case a lot. Sometimes the guys who didn't have the natural skills, you know, become the better coaches because they just had to, you know, think their way up the ladder. Um, but uh, good point on Dorsey, uh, Jared Johnson, Houston quarterbacks coach. He's a new hotness. Um, you know, uh, Bob Slowick uh, obviously interviewing with uh, uh, with the Commanders interviewing with another team uh, for a head coaching position. 
Uh, he's a current Texans offensive coordinator. If he gets one of those jobs, one has to think that Johnson becomes the new offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans, don't you think? Uh, or uh, do you think he might come to Cleveland anyway? Well, I don't know. I don't know the dynamics. Um, you know, by the way, Slowick, Bob, his dad was the first Browns defensive coordinator in mm-hmm. 1999 under Chris Palmer. Little trivia there. Um, I want, and I think it would be smart. You've invested everything into Sean Watson. Get his opinion. I mean, I've he had his best year under Tim Kelly, who's available. Now, I don't know if it's because of Tim Kelly, and I don't know what Watson thinks of Tim Kelly. Mm-hmm. And Johnson, I think they have a relationship, but I'm not completely sure how that all, if, if he went there afterwards or what. But I want somebody that that Watson gets along with, but will also push him and help him be comfortable to be the player that he was. So as far as um, the guys that we've heard they've talked about, I'm intrigued with Johnson. I saw what he did with C.J. Stroud, um, mm-hmm. but you had a lot of talent there. You know, and it, it ultimately comes down to the player. You know, the player's good. You get the credit, but he did play well, and I would say the majority of that was because of Stroud and his talent but the quarterback coach obviously helped prepare him and he looked good all season. So I would think that a guy who is good at working with quarterbacks would be somebody that would be very appealing to the Browns because they are hitched to Deshaun Watson playing well. And Mm -hmm. for them to get where they want to go, they need him playing well. And so that's what it comes down to to me is I would be more intrigued with Johnson of the ones I've heard because of his work with Stroud and the perceived relationship that he has with Watson or Watson's quarterback coach on the side or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know the dynamic with Tim Kelly, who was his former offensive coordinator that was with the Titans. So I, I just trust that if Alex Van Pelt, you know, is a friend of Kevin's and they talk to him about being reassigned, that they have to have somebody in mind that they're planning to bring in and had to feel pretty good that they could bring them in, whoever that is. And so the I is, is to upgrade and make them a, a more explosive passing attack kind of build on what you saw with Joe Flacco at the end. There's no reason you can't run that same offense with Watson, that explosive passing downfield. And I mean, Flacco threw for over 300 yards in five of the six games he played and Watson Mm -hmm. didn't have any. So to incorporate that, that's the ultimate goal there. But I, I, the, the old Browns are before Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, you know, as well as I knew, they would like fire everybody and mm-hmm. then go out and go, Hey, Barry, you want to be, Oh, okay. Hey. And they'd get their seventh choice, right. you know, and you get Mike Pettin and, and you no disrespect to these guys, but they're not 
who they, you know, they fired him and then they go for the fence, which is great, but they get turned down. I think these guys are smart enough now. They're not letting go of somebody they really want until they have somebody already. Perfect example last year. I don't know where I was on vacation. I think it was in late February. Mike Prefer, Mike Prefer, Mike Prefer. Then you heard the Browns have asked to talk to Bubba Ventrone or get permission. Soon as they got permission, they talked to him. All of a sudden, Prefer was let go and Ventrone was hired. As You know, they weren't moving on until they had somebody in place. So I have to think you moved on from Van Pelt, Mitchell McCartney, and you've already seen. I have to think Reese was the guy they had in mind for the tight end and Staley's who they had in mind at running back. I have to think they have a very short list for this offensive coordinator. Right. And I think the intriguing thing is that, uh, I, you know, just a hunch is it may be a name. There may be names there that we just haven't heard tied to the Browns quite yet. Well, who's still, who's still available, you know, if in these final four, have you heard any of these guys? They're interested. Well, there are people outside the final four who are available, and I don't even want to speculate because, you know, then people will be saying, "Oh, OBR says this, OBR says that," and OBR is not saying any any of this stuff. But there are guys available. One example, you, you know, uh, Rocky Balboa here says, you know, Clint Kubiak, right? He's out there, and people have mentioned his name in association with the Browns gig, but I haven't heard anything tying him directly to the Browns in terms of an interview or anything like that. And there are other people, other names floating out there who you could tie to the Browns, you know, if you were a clickbaiter, uh, you know, if, you know, you wanted to try and drive interest and just speculate, but, uh, uh, you know, we don't play that game here. Uh, But I do want to talk, we're going to get to your questions on the subject of coaching here in just a second, we're also going to talk about Andrew Barry and uh, his press conference uh, here uh, right after this break. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you about uh, the people you see in the lower right-hand corner of <laughs> your screen. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting uh, I'm getting heckled for not doing reckless, reckless speculation. But uh, we recently introduced you to our. New sponsors at Core Home Fitness, the enablers of the year of the web dork, who uh, have sent me some of their equipment that I'm setting up. Um, even if uh, you're not a web dork and you want to get yourself in shape, these are the people to talk to, uh, makers of the top-rated adjustable dumbbell on the market. Uh, don't take my word for it. Uh, take the word of the New York Times and Men's Health. Uh, Consumers Report calls them uh, the best buy. Uh, in this particular department. Um, They've got all kinds of videos on their website at corehomefitness.com. Other products like the Fight Master, which looks incredible. Um, (laughs) Getting hassled about this too, but uh, I'm not going to put those up on the screen. But uh, they have got uh, everything. You know, if you're in the market for this sort of equipment and you want to get yourself back in shape, they've got a U.S.-based support team. They've got fast shipping hassle-free returns, you name it, they know what they're doing. Even if you're a schlub like me, you can get yourself back in shape uh, regardless of what your New Year's resolutions are. So check out corehomefitness.com for the ultimate in home fitness equipment. 
And thank you to Core Home Fitness for sponsoring the OBR. They're not our only sponsor. I'm going to talk about uh, another friend of ours here in about 15 minutes or so. But in the meantime, let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to uh, uh, your comments and questions on the subject of uh, the Browns uh, coaching staff. Um, question from Paul Spencer. Paul wants to know, Fred, do you think the Browns are waiting to interview any candidates from the four teams now in the playoffs? Are they required to, or or can they schedule interviews with teams currently in the playoffs right now, Fred? Do you know that? Well, there have been some. There's a window, and I think you saw that with a couple of the guys with the Lions and different ones. I don't know who, you know, I know the Clint Kubiak, name I don't know if he's with the 49ers or or how that works but I know there's a window in the playoffs up to a certain point that they can do so and then it shuts down um so I I really it's hard to know we don't know all the names some have been leaked out I have to think the Jeff Dickerson the offensive line coach with Seattle who was being reported for the offensive coordinator I think that to me is more of an insurance policy with Bill Callahan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, He's you don't with know teams too. with his, with his son getting named the Titans coach, if he'll leave or not. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to really know. I would think it could even be a two person job. They could bring in a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator. It remains to be seen if you will, hire somebody who to call the plays. I mean, Stefanski has been pretty determined for four years to call the plays. And to me, it seemed like most up and coming coordinators or somebody that's been one calling plays, that would be a a prerequisite. But if it's somebody that's just hoping to get their first offensive coordinator job might take it just like Van Pelt, like, hey, you're not going to call the plays to start and you'll just kind of coordinate things. So I really don't know what they're thinking, but they're obviously thinking something because you already hired the running back coach and the tight end coach. Usually you hire a coordinator and he brings in a staff. Um, That's not happening. They might bring somebody with them or, again, they could – divide it up into a quarterback coach or a passing game coach or a offensive coordinator, kind of like Van Pelt did. Yeah. And that's a question from Drew in Burke city. What do you think of the Browns filling the position coaches on the offense before hiring an OC? Does it really matter if Kevin is calling plays? And that's some of the challenge here with the OC position. You know, do you get a guy who wants his own people you know, does that filter out a whole bunch of people who might be otherwise willing to consider the Browns OC position, regardless of whether or not they call plays? Or, you know, is Stephans, you know, if you if if you already pick out the coaches and you say you can't call plays, then how many people are left who are gonna to want to be the Browns offensive coordinator? I guess is a question. That, well, that, somebody that, that wants that title, which is one step away from a head coach, and they get the credit. Um mm-hmm. Listen, Kevin Stefanski is running the offensive side of things. Just like when 
from the beginning, Joe Woods was hired and he ran the defense. <clears throat> he fired Joe Woods because he wanted somebody else that could run the defense. Jim Schwartz runs the defense. It's different on offense. Kevin Stefanski runs this whole deal and they're, they're not looking to hire an offensive coordinator that's coming in like a Jim Schwartz that's going to mm. bring their own system and start all over. This is plug in to what we're doing. That's that's I would be shocked if they bring in a guy, okay, I'm bringing in my system and this is what we're doing right. because you know that's not happening or you wouldn't be hiring all these assistants, right. you know, right. around it. The offensive coordinator is just a kind of as it is right now, it's just a position probably without play calling duties. Right. Somebody who is just going to coordinate Kevin Stefanski's system, right? Not going to bring in a system of his own. They, uh, um, as uh, Ty Sox here points out, uh, Rees apparently will have quote unquote input on the offense. Uh, and your offensive coordinator better be happy with that role too, right? Having input, but not controlling the offense because that is uh, Kevin Stefanski's gig. Um, e. Gillen writes, any chance Fred thinks we go with pass game and run game coordinators and not an OC? And we don't wind up with somebody with that OC title at all. Yeah, I mean, they got so many titles and names. It's I've never seen so many coaches on the roster yet. <laughs> right. So sometimes you just kind of make up stuff. I think Stump Mitchell was called a run game coordinator, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. I can see the title being a little different than you're used to, but I still think somebody wants that offensive coordinator title. Um, mm. It looks good on the resume. And even if you're not the play caller, you know, we'll see how Alex Van Pelt fares, you know, and in, in his interviews where he and if he goes back to being a quarterback coach or something like that. But again, right. they could hire two or three people or give different. They could have a run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. You know, it just depends on on how they feel it fits. It's obvious that they weren't happy with the way the offense and they didn't just dispel that it's just because Watson was hurt or Nick Chubb was hurt and the, or the tackles that they really fundamentally see that we need to make some adjustments. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, you think of last year, I think of Baltimore, they, they got rid of their offensive coordinator and Todd Munkin you know, it didn't seem like he was that impressive when he was with the Browns. And I thought that's a good thing because they're going to step back a little bit. And then and then they're playing for the Super Bowl. So all these teams, just because they make changes doesn't mean they're taking a step back. So I just think they're retooling what they have. And I think that's a, a good move. It shows growth in Kevin Stefanski to me that he's willing to make changes when he didn't make any changes like the first three years, it seemed like, you know, like the mm. first real changes were the Joe Woods and the Mike Prefer. And and now he's tooling the offense. I think he saw the results on defense and special teams. So he's saying, you know, we need to get the offense up in that top 10 area as well. 
Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Ty Sox 15, I think maybe referring a little bit to Tim Kelly here, um, said, didn't they bring Baker's buddy in as a QB coach and he went backwards that year? Uh, sort of indicating that, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, maybe going back to the past isn't always the right answer, uh, for a quarterback coach. Any thoughts about that, Fred? Yeah, I don't know what what was the name. That was uh, Tim I, Kelly. I, uh, we're referring to Watson's. Uh, I think this is a oh. reference to bringing back Watson's old oh. quarterback coach. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. We did it with Baker. Yeah, I don't know if the success was because, you know, the that that's what I'm saying. These guys need to dive in deeper to see what the, yeah, you don't want just a buddy. You want a coach that pushes you and, and really challenges you and puts you in the best system. And, you know, it's hard to, you gotta think they're looking, say Joe Flacco just comes off the street and throws, you know, for 300 yards in five out of six games. We got to have that type of explosive offense with a 28 year old in the prime, you know, quarterback and not a 40 year old who did great. So hopefully that's what is in their thinking is just somebody that can be able to push all the buttons and make it all come together on the offensive side. But I don't, I don't know what the dynamic is with Watson, who's been, you know, really got him going or if it was just his talent, why, why he had such great years in Houston. Right. Okay. Uh, well, we have a couple of questions in the chat about quarterback. And uh, to segue to that topic, let's talk a little bit about Andrew Barry's um, uh, press conference the other day, which we uh, discussed, we previewed last week uh, with very low expectations in terms of what he would actually say. Uh, and I think he lived up to those low expectations. But what did uh, Barry have to say about the quarterback situation with Deshaun Watson and uh, potentially Joe Flacco coming back? Well, he said that they're very happy with Watson. You know, he was asked about, you know, the limited work, you know, going in the third year. He's only played 11, 12 games. And and he said, that's the biggest thing is just we all need to see him on the field more. And I think you can't go into anything assuming that a guy is going to be, you know, injured all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he didn't have that history. He had the one ACL one year, but every every other year he played the whole year. So he kind of sloughed off. There was nothing that Watson could have done about the shoulder situation. Even if he would have disclosed it, it might have sped it up a little. But they're very happy with him. They expect him to come back and even, you know, stronger than he finished. He he brought up the Raven game, you know, and his last game, 14 for 14, basically without with a broken bone and a shoulder and, and a high ankle sprain. And he, he got the job done, beat the Ravens, who – we all know where the Ravens are, number one seed and on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. Um, he, he was said that he would like to bring Joe Flacco back. He he mentioned Brissett in there. I think 
you know, they really would have liked to brought Brissett back a year ago, mm-hmm. but yeah. the player has has an option. And Flacco would be crazy to just say, yeah, I'm coming back right today to be your backup. Deshaun Watson's the quarterback, so he knows that. The only way he gets to play would be if Watson gets hurt again. Mm-hmm. And if he looks around, I don't know how many teams will say, Joe, you're our, we'll, we'll bring you in to be our starting quarterback. He'd be right. crazy not to take that. But I don't think too many teams are going to say that. Now, you could get a situation where a team drafts their quarterback, number one, number, you know, whatever, and they bring in Flacco and said, we want you to teach this guy, and we're actually going to have you start, you know, for a while or whatever that might be more appealing to him. I don't think it's the money at this point, but he really likes, he said several times he really likes the Browns and and the opportunity was given. And so I think all things being equal, if his best chance is to be a backup, he would, he would consider. And I think he would come back to be the backup quarterback. Barry was asked if they're worried about a dynamic of having Flacco and Watson and their beating division saying, well, we did so much better with Flacco. And he said, no, no concern at that at all. I think that was a good admission to me about the interested in Flacco because last year, and I can't say I disagreed with it at the time, but they had all quarterbacks with the same skill set. So they could all run, you know, the Josh Dobbs, DTR, and Watson. So the idea was you have the same offense. One goes down, you plug in the next one. Right. Well, I think they realize now you might not need the same skill set. Get the quarterback that's experienced that can win you games and step in, even if he has a different skill set. And that's what you had with Flacco. Here's a guy who had no skill set, really the same as Watson, but he was clearly a better option than the other guys on the roster. So you think back, if you had had a Flacco here all, you know, even training camp or the beginning of the year, I think they would have won at least one, if not two more games. And that would have put you, you know, in a position to have the number one seed, even losing to Sean Watson and right, Sean. Right. Because right. you think about that Seattle game, I can't see Flacco throw even – Though the third and three was called a pass, I cannot see him bouncing it off the guy's helmet because he's six six to begin with. Right. And you think of that first Baltimore game that you threw DTR. Now, yeah, it was twenty eight to three, but I think a lot of that was the tone was set with the rookie's mistake. So you never know, but I think he learned that lesson. You cannot go into the season with the high expectations with an inexperienced backup. Right, right. And that's what they've learned. Uh, Tysock15 here asked, do you really expect Flacco to come back in a Brissett type role? Or was AB just being uh, being polite? And uh, I think I think you can expect him to come back if he doesn't get those other opportunities, like you said, Fred, right? Well, why wouldn't he? He said he wants to play. I mean, Brissett right. went to Washington for $8 million. Money's important. I don't think it's as important to Flacco, but money is money. If somebody offers him, 
that type of money to go be a backup. But you think of Brissett. I think Brissett thought he would get a chance to play over there. They decide to go with the rookie or this whatever Howell is, second-year guy or whatever, and he really didn't get to play other than, you know, came in with a couple times. So there could be positions with a quarterback kind of on the rocks mm-hmm. that Flacco could look at. This is a better opportunity because they're going to have a short leash and I can step in. So right. Um He's going to weigh his options. He'd be great. I mean, what does he need? Why does he need to commit mm-hmm. when he doesn't know really what's out there? You know, there could be right. somebody really blowing him away and I wouldn't blame him, but I just don't think teams are going to say, we're going to build our team around you. I mean, he's not Aaron Rodgers, right. who's 40, but I don't think you're going to say, you're the guy that we're going to build our team around and you're our starting quarterback at the age of 40. Right. Yeah. Doesn't make sense at all. Um, Well, we are are running low on questions. So if you've got questions for Fred, fire them away. Or if you've got questions for me, do whatever. Um, But what I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about uh, one of our favorite human beings on the planet. And I've got an email address it is scott.fillinger at proforma.com. You can see it there on your screen, second row from the bottom. Uh, if you are a small businessman like me or you are working in a larger business and you're in marketing or operations or HR, anywhere where you deal with clients, take that email address, burn it into your brain, make sure that you write this guy. We know I'm here on chat on on twitch is og philly on twitter is og philly or philly asc on the obr but if you got you know one of them real live email clients use that scott fillinger at proforma.com uh address and talk to him because what he does is he takes branded products uh and puts your logo on them he creates custom items for your company your team like this hat that i'm wearing uh, like this shirt I've got on, Fred's got on similar material, coffee cups. He, 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 he gets stuff from the best manufacturers like Nike and others, uh, just terrific stuff. And he's, he can even make uh, putzes like Fred and I look presentable. Uh, you know him as a good guy. He's an awesome OBR supporter, hardcore Browns fan. You know he's going to be good to work with. So if you're in the business, you've got clients. And if you've got clients and you're not working with Philly, you're making a mistake because you want to win your clients over. Gear like this is one of the great ways to do it. So crank up an email, contact them at the information that is up on your screen right there and uh, get to work with Philly. He uh, has done great stuff for us. He'll do great stuff for you and uh, rock and roll. And thank you so much, Philly, for sponsoring the broadcast. It's really, really appreciated. All right, let's get back to uh, your comments and questions. Uh, Let's see here. I'm going to uh, mark a couple of questions that came in while I was uh, uh, talking there. And uh, boy, we got a bunch of them. Holy moly, you guys have been busy while I was yapping away. Um, All right. I, I want to talk about one or two other things here real quick uh, from Barry's uh, press conference. He talked to uh, a little bit about Nick Chubb 
as well and his likelihood to return. Uh, what is uh, the 32nd version of what he said about Nick Chubb and his potential to return, Fred? Well, he just praised him and said, bottom line, they don't want, nobody wants his last carry as a Brown to be that injury, you know, in Pittsburgh. I think that's pretty obvious. They're going to do right by him. Um, the biggest question for them is he's, you know, as Jack points out on our salary situation is I think he's got like a $15 million salary next year. None yeah. of it guaranteed. The cold hard thing would just be to release him, but they're not going to do that. They're going to do something like restructure like they did with Jack Conklin, probably sign him to an extension, maybe two, three years, give him some more guaranteed money up front and make it more palatable for the salary cap. Um, I mean, I, I know Nick Chubb, as most Browns fans do, and know it's a major injury, but if anybody's going to be able to come back, it's Nick Chubb. He's come back from one of these before, but the the financial side of it, you know, puts puts another side to it. You can't just say, well, we're going to pay him $15 million because you don't know if you're going to get the 6.2 yard per average Nick Chubb or he returns and he's a 3.2 yard per carry Nick Chubb. I would think he'd be closer to his former self, but I don't know if he'll be at his former self. And he's like 28 now, you know, so – Going into the season, the big question is, were you going to extend him and give him a chance to break Jim Brown's records and all that? And sentimentally, that would have been the right thing. But even is that the right thing to do? Right. You know, can he play? So I think they're going to they're going to definitely take care of the contract, extend him, rework his guarantees and stuff. But I don't know what, you know, to what extent. They're not going to hang themselves by by signing him to a, a big, heavy extension that they can't do anything else because of that. It remains to be seen, you know, how he's going to be able to return. Will he be back in the preseason? Will it be midseason? All they said was sometime next year. Um, well, you know, we've seen that. Some of the guys have been back within the year from an ACL, but he had two different surgeries. I think the last one was in maybe November. That would put him, you know, maybe to be able to be back early in the season. But right. a lot of times it's not until the second year after a surgery when they're back to normal. So I, I don't think Nick Chubb's going anywhere. I just think that, you know, they'll do what's right with him, but it's a big question, big uncertainty all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they'll do something with this contract. You know, I, I think they'll do the right thing. He's, he's just such an important part of the team. A um, couple other questions that we have uh, in the 10 minutes that we have left. Serge MDC writes, Fred, do you think that there's a little more pressure on Jim Schwartz to fix the away splits of the defense next year? that weird tendency of this defense to uh, play much differently on away games than they have at home games. Yeah. I mean, there's really no explanation for that. I mean, I said before the year, 
having a great defense and I was just expecting them to be a top 10 defense. I wasn't expecting them to be number one. And I still go more in points allowed. And, you know, I think they were 13th there, but um, with that said, I thought defense would travel, meaning you could count every week on your defense, you know, keeping you in games. And as we saw on the road, some of the games were misleading because the offense gave points up, not necessarily the defense and the score, but still they didn't, they obviously didn't play well on the road most of the year other than the first Houston game, which made you feel like they would play much better in the playoff there, but that might've been their worst game of the year. And so I don't know how to put a finger on it other than you, I can bet and guarantee you that Jim Schwartz, that's going to eat in his craw all off season, how that ended and looking at film and how to make sure that doesn't happen again. Cause the, the Texans exploited the defense to a great degree. Obviously two pick sixes make it, made it look much worse, but the first half to give up 28 points and over 260 yards, that game was over, you know, in the first half. And so I expect them to come back with an answer to that. But as far as, I don't know if you can, I don't think it's cut and dry that, Oh, at home they play this. There's no question at home with the crowd and and playing into it. But some of the road games, to be honest, they played the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And they mm-hmm. really didn't dominate um, elite quarterbacks. I don't know who you would put in that. But Brock Purdy was hurt the day he played. I don't know if he's an elite. Joe Burrow was hurt. Um you know, and you look, go down the list, uh, you know, Rams, Matthew Stafford, I don't know if you'd say he's elite, but he ate up the Browns. Russell Wilson got let go by his team or is moving on and right. he ate him up. So a lot of that was, they didn't play good against better quarterbacks on the road. They got to, they got to get that figured out. Right. Next question from kid Wilson, 33 says, Fred, if miles is getting double and triple teamed, why is it nobody else can get to the quarterback? Um, good, good question. What what is behind Miles' late season sort of swoon? Um, I I'll give you my my short opinion, which is that I think teams were really moving their quarterbacks, moving their offenses away from Miles. You know, running the other direction. Basically, I thought I saw a lot of that toward the back end of the season, but. The yeah, you know, they were rolling away from him to give more time so he couldn't get to him, and that's a good strategy. That just means your other guy, you know, saying nobody can get to the quarterback. I mean, I was just – the Browns had 48 sacks. That was like, I think, a team record. Garrett had mm-hmm. 14. That was one of his lowest years. But the other defensive linemen added up to like 25 sacks. Um, that's pretty good. It was yeah. district, but you didn't have one down. I was expecting Zadarius Smith to have double digit sacks. And I thought he would really thrive opposite Garrett because he's the close. I mean, I thought he was better in Jadavian Clowney, even in Clowney's best year here, but he just, he did a lot of things, but they didn't result in sacks. And the coaches kind of harp on that when they're talking to the media, because the media always asks about sacks. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, not the end 
game. And you're seeing some of that with Garrett getting player of the year. They're not just looking at the most sacks, you know, in that. But right. I do think that on the other side, Okoronkwo's injury late kind of hurt him because he was really a force put in pressure, even if Zadarius Smith wasn't. And so he's coming back, and I think that bodes well. Don't know about Smith, but you got some up front. You, you had much more even pressure. I think a mild surprise was Alex Wright. When he started playing, he had five sacks in the last five or six games. And and so you just didn't have that one guy, you know, with Garrett getting 14 and the other guy getting double digits. I thought right. it would be Smith, but it wasn't. So I wouldn't say they couldn't get to the quarterback. Now, they didn't get to the quarterback against Stroud in, in one of the most glaring games. They had no pressure. And I think, again, Slowick had a good game plan to roll him out and and they just couldn't put any pressure on them. So they got to get right. that figured out. Yep, they, they sure as heck do. Uh, Drew in Brick City asked, do you think Barry will make a trade that is going to surprise people? What do you think, Fred? Is that inevitable? A trade. Um, yeah, he's he's done pretty well in his trades. That's Both their starting wide receivers came in trades. It, it really just depends on um, a trade partner. I always, I always favor a trade before free agency because you don't get into a bidding war. If there's somebody you really want, um, that, that you see available instead of going and pay in top dollar to a free agent, you never know what'll happen. You might think I'll offer him the most money and somebody else outbids you and drives mm. the price up so high. So I like the idea of making trades. Amari Cooper, you know, was a, a trade and you made sure you got him. And, you know, and then you had that with Elijah Moore and you had it to some degree with some other players. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head that it, they have made trades. John Dorsey did that with Jarvis Landry and, mm -hmm. and, Zedaria uh, Smith with, uh, Andrew. Yeah. Barry. Yeah, Zadarius Smith that assured of not being a free agent, and so yeah, I think he I think he looks at that as a very viable tool. So <clears throat> I don't think you can make trades until I don't know if that's over now. I think it's more of the new league year or right up until. But I think yeah. he'll explore. I think they'll explore all those type of opportunities for sure. Always fumble. Same way yes. with. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying same way with unloading guys like they did, obviously, with Peoples-Jones. They mm -hmm. were just not going to re-sign him, so they traded him. There might right. be some guys that they will do with that they're not planning on bringing back. Bubble 13 asks, uh, Cook and Ratio seem to be getting interviews for GM spots. Are they viewed as a year away, or they just haven't been impressive in the interviews they've had? Um, I don't. I don't think it's either, Fred, but... Uh, your opinion? I think it's, it's, yeah, I think they're a little ways away. The Browns just because of the injuries and because all the way around, they weren't perceived as a hot commodity this year, Super Bowl. You do it again next year, and then all of a sudden you get attraction. You're still exactly. going to have the attention going to the, the winners, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if the coordinators for the Super Bowl champion or runner up are the ones that 
get some of these positions. That's how it always is. Right, right. It's just uh, who's hot this year, right? And uh, the Browns do well, then our GM candidates get hot that year. Uh, YouTube user writes, won't Watson be able to hold us hostage when his contract is up? And uh, that is uh, very dependent on how well he plays, right, Fred? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you mean by hostage. I mean, if he's not playing well, they just let him leave. I don't right. think that they are going to have a bare cupboard. I mean, that was the idea of bringing in DTR, hoping that he develops, you know, say what you would, but say the Huntley over in Baltimore, you have him for two, three years. If if the other, you know, Jackson, they chose to pay him the big contract and, you know, and if they don't feel Watson is living up to it and they feel good enough about their current apprentice, then they would move on. But I don't think they intend to um, let him leave. I mean, you got three more years and then you always have the franchise or all those tags. You don't, if he's playing well, he's not leaving. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. assign him to another extension, you know, and I, most players don't seem to have the loyalty, but I would think if anybody had anything for the Browns organization, it would be him. They went way out on the limb, you know, to make the trade and to give him the money and everything involved. So I don't really, I don't think they'll put themselves in a position going into his final year. If he has shown that he is the guy that they let him even get close to leaving. I mean, none of these teams do. When's the last Kirk cousins might be the last guy I can think of that hit free agency. And that was after they did like two years of, franchise tagging him and mm-hmm. you know yeah. and so forth. they don't let so, these guys go you never let a franchise quarterback go no. but uh, uh just a couple of quick obr questions before we go um first question is uh from paul spencer he says barry when will you throw an obr fans party maybe in the fall i might actually come back to cleveland for that there's enough demand for it we'll do it we used to hold parties before training camp on the first day of training camp all the time. They were blowouts. They were fun. We used to do draft parties. They were fun. If there's enough interest in it, we would do that before a game or during training camp or something like that. So if people are interested, just let me know. I mean, I, we love that sort of stuff. And then finally, a request from OG Philly to take 30 seconds and talk about Fred the way Andrew Berry talks about Stefanski. That challenge is reversed. Andrew Barry needs to talk about Stefanski the way we talk about Fred. We call Fred the legend around here. Stefanski gets 25 years in as coach, then uh, Andrew Barry can talk about him the way we talk about Fred. He's the freaking legend, folks. That's what we call him around here. And for the legend, I'm Barry McBride, the web dork. Thank you very much for hanging out with us on this Wednesday night per usual. We'll be back again next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. For Fred Greetham, I'm Barry Good night, everybody. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you. Thanks for the tribute.